Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 5. Now, last time we were together looking at the book of Joshua, we looked at uh, the crossing of the Jordan River by the Israelites as they were going into the Promised Land. As we come to chapter 5, we come to a point in which uh, the Israelites have gone over into the Promised Land. They're just uh, beginning to uh, venture into the land, and we see that uh, they begin to come up against their first opposition uh, in the form of uh, the city of Jericho. And it says in chapter 5, And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were in the side of the Jordan uh, westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard of the Lord, uh, that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan uh, from before the children of Israel, until uh, we were passed over, that their hearts melted, neither were their spirit in them any more because of the children of Israel. So uh, word has gotten out about the children of Israel crossing over the Jordan River on dry land. Um, again, for uh, before we miss this, this is, you know, a recorded... Uh, uh, verification that crossing the Jordan River wasn't some uh, just simple process. Uh, there have been some who have tried to debunk uh, some of the things that have happened in the in the Bible, trying to say that well, uh, when the children of Israel went across the Red Sea coming out of Egypt, it was the Reed Sea, and it wasn't like it was uh, really a big uh, amount of water. And I always say, well. Uh, that must have been an even greater miracle considering the army of Egypt drowned in not uh, just a little bit of water. Uh, uh, but then uh, when they come to this account of them crossing over the Jordan River, uh, many of them point to the fact that at certain times in the year, uh, you can simply just step over the Jordan River uh, in one big step. It's not a big thing, but uh, the Bible clearly said in chapter 3 and chapter 4 that this was uh, the Jordan River at its peak, at its highest level when it flooded. Uh, so therefore, it was a lot of water. And then here in chapter 5, it then again confirms that by the fact that why would all these nations of people, why would the Bible say that their hearts melted at the, at the word of the fact that the Israelites crossed over the Jordan River on dry ground if Jordan was just a hop over, it wouldn't melt their hearts. They'd say, well, they, they crossed the Jordan River. Now, now they're in our backyard. We need to worry about it. But uh, what the Bible is saying here is, is giving an account of the fact that their hearts melted because of the fact that they crossed the Jordan River at its height and it was an amazing feat for them to cross over on dry ground. 
So don't miss these little things that uh, are in the Scripture that that we sometimes just glide over and and continue on because hey we want to get we want to get to the the Battle of Jericho we don't uh, you know we're we're excited about what happened there that we miss some of these clues about uh, the validity of the fact of the miracles of God being with Israel as they move into the Promised Land. So uh, the hearts of these people wither because of the fact that it's an amazing thing that the children of Israel have crossed over. And look at verse 2, and it says, And uh, that time the Lord uh, said unto Joshua, uh, Make the sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel uh, the second time. And uh, we have for uh, several scriptures, uh, several verses, the account of what is going on. Uh, God is telling uh, the Israelites that they need to, uh, in essence, what this is, is a purification of the people. As they're entering into the promised land, God says to Israel, I want you to circumcise all of uh, uh, the people of Israel. Now, why would they have to do that? Well, let's think about this for a moment. As all the children of Israel that were in Egypt came out of Egypt, those people were circumcised. But Joshua is dealing with people who have been in the wilderness for 40 years. And these are either the children of those children who started out on the journey or people that were born as they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. So, and the Bible tells us that none of these uh, Israelites had been uh, circumcised. As they were wandering in the wilderness, they didn't circumcise their babies after they were born, after the eighth day of their birth, as they were wandering in the wilderness. They just simply uh, went about their business and didn't do any of that. And what God is doing is, is He's uh, doing two things in this portion of the Scripture. First of all, as I've already stated, kind of already uh, told you, He's purifying the people as they prepare to go into the Promised Land. He's calling them to a, a purity uh, and having a, uh, a right relationship with God. And secondly, He's renewing the covenant of God with the children of Israel. Part of the covenant, if you remember, uh, if you go all the way back to Genesis where we read about Ab- Abraham and God's relationship and covenant with Abraham, when Abraham uh, first made his uh, covenant relationship with God, uh, or God made it with Abraham, uh, God called upon Abraham to uh, circumcise himself and everybody else uh, in his family as a way of showing the covenant that God had with Abraham. And this was uh, to set aside Abraham and his uh, family, his clan, so that they would be set apart and they would be separate. Now, the children of Israel are descendants of Abraham, and this is something that should have been done as they have been wandering in the wilderness, but they have not done that. And so God is calling them to uh, reaffirm their co- uh, covenant relationship by circumcision and to purify themselves in circumcision. So uh, these two things are, are, are uh, what God is, is seeking to accomplish before He moves any further in the process of taking them in to take hold of the promised land. And if you have to, you have to remember also 
that it's more than just simply a logistics of, of God bringing the children of Israel into this territory for them to take over. This is not just your simple move. Uh, back in December when Robin and my family and I moved from uh, uh, the uh, one house there on, on the highway over to the house we're living in now, we... Uh, uh, we packed up all of our stuff and put it in cars and we put it in uh, in the back of trucks and all that kind of stuff and we hauled it over there and we uh, had people help us out by moving on trailers and things like that. Uh, we just took all of our stuff that we wanted to keep and we moved it over there and we started putting it away. This is not what the children of Israel are doing. They're not just simply coming into this land and saying, hey, I like this, uh, this property. Let's go in there and uh, put our stuff away where we want to have it and move in. This isn't just a simple move in. This is the culmination of God's promise to the children of Israel that has been a promise that has been in place for 400 years. Uh, all the way back to Abra- from Abraham all the way forward to this time, uh, the children of Israel have been told uh, you're going to have this land. You're going to possess this land. This land will be your possession for all eternity. And uh, God covenanted with Abraham and his descendants that uh, one, he would make them a great and mighty nation, and two, that he would give them uh, this great land, and three, that he would bless uh, the world through Uh, his lineage and so this is part of the covenant of God that God not only just helped them to go in and conquer the land uh, and move in but that this is the promised land this is uh, the fulfillment of God's promise and so what God is doing is helping them to understand uh, the significance of what he's accomplishing with them and also He's reaffirming his relationship with these, uh, this generation of the children of Israel. They are the ones who've been one again have been wandering in the wilderness, and uh, and so this is a way of of cementing their relationship with God in this circumcision. And so. Um, uh, verse 10 says, And the children of Israel camped at Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month of the, uh, at even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and par- uh, parched corn in the selfsame day. So uh, another aspect of what they did was they had the Passover feast. They uh, came together and had the Passover. Now, uh, what's the significance of that? The significance of that is the Passover, remember, is a remembrance of God's deliverance of the children of Israel. They were delivered from uh, bondage and slavery when uh, God brought all the the uh, uh, plagues on the land of Egypt. And, and the last plague was uh, the death angel that came and, and uh, killed the firstborn of each household that didn't have the blood's lamb on the lentil. And once, uh, and when uh, God told them that this was what was going to happen, that the death angel was going to come and pass over and and kill the firstborn of each household that didn't have the blood's lamb on the lentil, uh, as the the Passover, as the angel was passing over, they were to have this meal, and it's the same meal that they share when they uh, celebrate the Passover. They were to eat bread that was unleavened. 
to remind them of the fact that they didn't have much time. They were to take the lamb that was slain for the blood and they were to boil it and to eat it and consume it. That was to remind them of the sacrifice that was made uh, for them so that they would be safe. And that sacrifice is a foreshadowing of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And it is a looking forward to the deliverance of God and the sacrifice in which Jesus Christ made. And, so, and, and that's why it's significant when Jesus uh, took those same elements and uh, turned them into what we understand to be the Lord's Supper and reminding us of the sacrifice He made for us and uh, taking those self-same elements and helping us to see how it relates to His sacrifice on the cross. So as a part of keeping that covenant, as a part of uh, renewing that relationship, they also celebrated the Passover feast. Uh, verse 13, uh, or verse 12 says, And the manna ceased <coughs> excuse me, on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land, neither had the children of Israel manna any more but they did eat of the fruit of the land of the Canaan that year. Again, here is another demonstration of the provision of God. God, uh, as they were coming out of Egypt, provided manna, this bread that fell from heaven. Uh, They were able to go out each morning and collect it and grind it up and make it into flour and make uh, cakes out of that in order for them to be able to have something to eat each day as they went through the wilderness. Imagine the amount of food necessary to feed uh, more than a million people. And here uh, they probably had on, roughly on the, on the average of three to five million people that were passing through the wilderness. If it wasn't wilderness before they went through, it'd be wilderness after they went through if they consumed everything as they went. But instead of doing that, God provides this bread that falls from heaven as soon as they step into the promised land and soon as they begin to partake of the food that is in this land flowing of milk and honey, as soon as that happened, God ceases to provide the manna. Why? Because the provision is no longer necessary. He's provided in a new way, which is the food that is there in abundance in the, in the promised land. He told them that He was going to take them to a land flowing of milk and honey of which they would live in homes they didn't build. They were to eat of the fruit that they didn't plant. They were going to enjoy the fruits of the land that they didn't uh, toil over. Why? Because this was God's blessing to them. and This was God's uh, gift to them as a part of the covenant of God. And as soon as they began to partake of that covenant land, it was no longer necessary for them to receive manna. Can you imagine what would have happened if God continued to ha- uh, rain down manna on the children of Israel while they were there in the promised land? Well, they wouldn't. They would not have understood the the provision of God in the the land, the promised land. It, they would have either done one of two things, right? They would have either continued to eat the manna and all that God had provided for them. They wouldn't have gone in to take the land. Why do that? You still got manna. You don't need uh, to go in and, and possess the land because you've got 
the manna that's fallen from heaven. Or if they would have uh, gone and eaten all the food of the land and all that manna that's fallen out there would have gone to waste. And that would have uh, been a slight on God because of the fact that here's God is providing for you and causing this manna to fall from heaven and you're not using it. So God made the manna stop because they began to eat of the fruit of the land and it was to encourage them to go in and possess the land for themselves and to also understand the very uh, fruitful benefits that God has provided. In other words, they would have been yeah, uh, verse 13 says, And it came to pass that when Joshua was at, uh, by Jericho, they lifted up his eyes and looked, and beheld there stood a man over against him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us, or art thou uh, or, or uh, for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but captain of the, the host of the Lord, and am I now come? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, uh, Loose thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereupon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. And so here we see that uh, the, as Joshua is uh, and the children of Israel have entered into the promised land, uh, he sees a mysterious man and he doesn't know who he is. So he inquires. He says, "Hey, are you with? Are you are you one of us? Or are you one of them?" <laughs> and and the guy says, "Look, I am the Lord, uh, the captain of the Lord's host." And what that what does that mean to Joshua? That means that uh, the word of of God that came to Joshua and said that he would be with him as he entered into the promised land, as he uh, was taking the children of Israel. Remember, God came to Joshua as he was uh, preparing to cross over the Jordan River, and God told him, "Look." Uh, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to make you great in the eyes of, of the children of Israel. The way they saw Moses, they're going to look at you and they're going to see you in the same way. They're going to see my hand upon your life and, and you're going to uh, be as great as Moses to these people. And here Joshua is coming into uh, the promised land. Is Joshua a warrior? No. Is, is Are the people of Israel warriors? No, they are people who are nomads. They've just wandered out in the wilderness. They've done nothing uh, but be slaves, and, and now this generation is nothing but wanderers. They're not even slaves. They All they have done is followed uh, a cloud by day and a, fire, a pillar of fire by night, and they've wandered through the wilderness. They haven't, they haven't tilled the ground once. They have not uh, uh, taken up swords in battle. All they've done is followed uh, God through the wilderness, and they haven't really engaged in a major battle. They've had some skirmishes, skirmishes here and there as, as they've been going through the wilderness, but they haven't had anything on, on the scale of what they're about to endeavor. They are basically uh, looking at a... a uh, a full-on scale war in which they uh, not only invade and uh, seek to conquer these people, but they're uh, seeking to come in and, and occupy 
all of this land. And so that's a different tactic. That's all kinds of uh, different uh, methodologies of warfare. And they have no background at all in this. They are an, they're not a great nation that has a supply line coming from another country uh, in order to provide for them support as they enter into uh, foreign land. Everything that they have is what they've carried with them. And they have no way of providing for them. And they're at the mercy of God. And here God sends them a messenger and He says, I, I want you to understand I am the captain of the Lord's host and uh, I am with you. And Joshua recognizes that this is uh, a, a messenger from God. And so he bows down before Him and he uh, seeks to... And it's, a, it's God's way of sharing with Joshua that they're not alone. They're not alone in battle. They're not alone as they go in. And all of this is uh, stacking up that the children of Israel have to be obedient as God takes them in. Can you imagine what it must be like to, to be there and to see God provide for all these people as they've been wandering about. That's one thing. And, and I think I've mentioned uh, before how we get accustomed to seeing God's hand in our life. We get accustomed to, to miracles of God each and every day. We, we grow to expect certain things. In the morning, we expect the sun to rise in the east and set in the west, don't we? We expect the, the sun to come up at a certain time. We expect uh, if rain clouds come in like they have uh, and the rain falls, that it falls down and not up. We expect that uh, when we get up in the morning in uh, late May that it's going to be a warm day, not wake up and it be uh, 30 degrees below zero. All of these things are, are miracles of God. He is, he's kept our earth in, in perfect position to not be too hot, not too cold. He's allowed us to have weather that, that uh, brings nutrients uh, to our soil, that allows uh, things to grow like in our gardens. Uh, when our uh, livestock eats the grass, it converts that grass into energy and that energy in that livestock produces milk or, or eggs and chickens or whatever. Uh, that's an amazing thing to take uh, grass or seed or whatever, uh, some kind of feed that you're feeding an animal and, and that animal is able to convert that stuff into things that we consume. Uh, that's a miracle. Uh, just to see a baby being born or a baby growing and, and we get accustomed to the regular heartbeat of our heart. That's a miracle of God. And the children of Israel have gotten accustomed to the, the regular heartbeat of day in and day out of God's working in their life. And now God is, uh, is taking them into a new chapter of their life in which they're about to see God move in a dramatic different way in which they're going to enter in and take possession of this land the very first battle they go to is the battle of Jericho and we see that in chapter 6 it says now Jericho was straightly shut up 
because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. Remember we read in chapter 5, the first verse, that everybody heard about what God had done and they all were melting before God and they they realized that what God was doing in them. And so they were afraid of this band of people because clearly God was with them. And Jericho heard where uh, the Israelites were and all these other uh, peoples, and so they were ready for them. And that's what verse 1 says. They had the city on lockdown because they knew that the Israelites were out there. And verse 2 says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. And you shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. And the seven priests uh, shall bear before the ark uh, uh, seven trumpets of ram's horns. And seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times. Uh, and the priests shall blow their, their trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn and blast with, uh, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. So here's God, and He's saying, Look, you see that city, Jericho, that's got the huge walls? Now, this is Jericho that uh, is. Uh, a city that has walls big enough for them to uh, uh, to race chariots across the top. They have houses built into the wall. This is not just some three foot wall, uh, three foot wide wall, or anything like that. This is a huge wall around uh, the uh, the city, and. It looks impenetrable. It looks as though there's no way that they could possibly uh, conquer this uh, city. In fact, uh, we'll see uh, later in the in the chapter that uh, the people of, of Jericho kind of uh, yell down insults at the Israelites as they're going around because they say, you know, there's no way you're going to be able to break down these walls. They're very confident in the security of their walls. And uh, so we see that uh, it's impossible in their human mind for them to break down those walls and and be able to uh, go into the city and take it. God wants them to understand that He's going to deliver the city of Jericho to them without them uh, doing anything that they would normally believe would be necessary to conquer the city. The children of Israel are not going to lay siege to the city and and starve them out. They're not going to stop up the river that's going through the city and and, uh, cause them to have uh, a drought of water and not be able to to, uh, have anything to drink and cause them to uh, get so thirsty that they open up the city and, and they're able to get in. They don't have, they don't bring in these big uh, catapults and 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 throw uh, big boulders into the walls or anything like that. Nope. God says I w- what I want you to do is I want you to get the priests and your men of war and I want y'all to to walk around the city in silence one time each day for six days. Josh was probably sitting there thinking, what in the world is that going to do? 
they're not going to think anything. They're going to they're think we're Looney Tunes we're out here walking around in silence around this city. And all we're doing is going to walk around at one time the first day. And then we're going to go back to our tents and we're going to just sit there and camp for the rest of the day. They're going to think we've lost our mind. And then God says, on the seventh day, I want you to walk around the city seven times and be completely silent until the last time that you go around. I want you to then uh, wait for the ram's horns to be blown by the priest. And then after you hear the ram's horns, every man that's out there, I want you to all shout. Boy, that's... uh... That's a tactic that has a lot of surprise to it, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> how can you telegraph even any more that you're out there and, and you're about to attack than walking around in silence and then you blow horns and then you all go, ah! That's like shouting, ah, right before you go charging uh, into the field of battle. Everybody knows you're coming. But you see, it's not the fact that the Israelites are going to go out there and do take the city in themselves. Uh, God wants them to understand that He's going to deliver the city to them without them doing anything. Uh, so He says in verse 8, And it came to pass when uh, Joshua had spoken unto the people, uh, the seven priests bearing... Uh, uh, the seven trumpets of ram's horns passed on before the Lord and blew with the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the uh, priests that blew with the trumpets and uh, the rearward came after the ark and the priests going on and blowing of the trumpets. And Joshua uh, had commanded the people say, saying, Ye shall not shout, nor make any noise with your voice. Neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day uh, I did. Uh, I bid you to shout. And then you shall shout. So the ark of the Lord compassed the city going about it once, and then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets ran horns and the, uh, before the Lord the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets and the armed men went before them uh, but the rearward came after the ark of the Lord and the priests going on and blowing of the trumpets and the second day they uh, compassed the city once and returned to the camp and they did this for six days And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and compassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day they compassed the city seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. So all they've done is shout after walking around the city seven times. And the city shall be uh, accursed even it and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that were in uh, her house, because she hid the messengers uh, that went uh, was sent in. And ye in any wise keep uh, yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed and ye sh- uh, when ye take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. So, 
as they went around the, the, the city seven times, they were to go in complete silence the seventh day. They went around seven times, and then uh, when they got done, the priests blew the trumpets, and they shouted out, uh, and uh, Joshua tells them, hey, when, when you take the city, don't take anything. You know, all of this has been doing... Uh, it has been doing something for the children of Israel and it's been doing something for the people in Jericho and the people in, in the whole promised land that they were in, entering into. Everybody's watching the Israelites to see how they're going to attack Jericho, this very well-fortified city. Everybody has been watching to see uh, what they're going to do and how they're going to attack because guess what? They're going to prepare their city for the attack that's coming. And uh, they're all sitting there wondering what kind of, of army that Israel is going to mount against this well-fortified city. And Israel's not doing anything that they would all consider the correct steps to try and take a city. They all know in the defense of their own city how they would, uh, would attack a city so they've fortified their city against attack and all they're doing is walking around in silence. What's that doing? That's showing obedience by the children of Israel. Well, this isn't the way... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's uh, some of them that, that said, you know, hey, I'm pretty good with the sword. Let me just go in there and I'll, I'll uh, sneak my way in. I'll find some way to get in and I'll open the gate and we'll all storm in and start taking these people. We can take them. Nope. Joshua said, we're going to walk around in silence. We're going to do this quietly. We're going to do this the way God tells us to do. So they do it the way God tells them to do. The first day they go around and uh, the Israelite army comes in and they say, hey, that was a pretty good day of, of fighting for the Lord. No, we didn't lose a single one. Of course, we didn't kill a single one, but we didn't lose anybody. And it wasn't too difficult. All we had to do was walk. We did marching exercises for a whole day. We had to be quiet, but we did it. They did that for six days. And the seventh day, they did it seven times. Again, obedience. Shows obedience of God. And it shows dependence upon God too, right? It shows not only are we obeying God for what He's telling us that we're going to do, but it also shows uh, dependence upon God because uh, they believe that God's going to give them the city without them doing a thing. And they, as they do it, they're saying, you know, hey, that wall is just as thick and as wide and as solid as it ever has been, but we're going to keep going around. God's told us the walls are going to fall. He's going to make those, wall, uh, those big thick walls, and boy, they look awful thick. I wonder if any of them, uh, as they were marching around, might have put their hand out to feel how thick those walls were as they were going around. You know, as a little kid, I, uh, sometimes going along a, a bigger wall or something like that, I'd stick my hand out, see, you know, what kind of wall it is, how thick it is. I wonder how thick that wall is, that soldier's probably thinking. Boy, that doesn't look like it's moving any. We've been around how many times now? Boy, that wall's just as thick as can be. Obedience, dependence upon God, trusting in God to, to do what He says He's going to do. And God's showing them that He's, he's fighting the battle for them, right? So, 
the last thing that God tells them before they're to, uh, before He gives the city over to them is, is they're not to spare a thing. Only Rahab and her family, as they stay in their home, is to be spared. Everything else to, is to be killed. They're not to go in and take any silver or gold, any clothes. They're not to take any uh, artifacts or any kind of, uh, you know, the golden candlesticks or or silver uh, ornaments, anything like that of value. They're not to do anything with all that. Why? God told them they didn't... Look, if they would have gone in and taken the city and taken all that kind of stuff, what would have happened? Hey, look there. We look. We went in there and we slaughtered them. Now we're rich because we slaughtered them. We. We did that. And God says, no, I'm doing this. And I'm going to give you the city. And people are going to say, hey, well, they, they took all that stuff and that's financing their battle somewhere else. God says, nope, you're not going to do that. It's not about taking money. It's not. It's not about taking getting clothes. It's not about getting uh, livestock for uh, for your family. It's not about any of those things. This is about God's judgment on these people. God's providing this land for the children of Israel. It's not about getting rich. It's not about. Uh, uh, profiting off of warfare. This is about God fulfilling His promised covenant with uh, the children of Israel and it's also a judgment on the people that, that He is driving out. That was God's decision. Now we're going to have to stop here because we're at, a, at the end of our time. But we're going to see what happens. And you can already, some of you already know what's going on. You know what's coming. You already know, well, if God says not to do something, there's going to be one person who doesn't listen, right? And that's exactly what happens. One person doesn't listen to what God says, and we're going to see what God does as a result of that. So we'll see that the next time that we come together, and we're going to see. But this all teaches us that God's able to do all things. But we need to be people who learn to trust in God, rely upon Him. Don't rely upon our own selves for... Look, God's, gonna, God's told us He's going to be with us. He's going to take care of us. He's going to provide for us. And sometimes that means God will provide a job for you to have provision. And sometimes it means that God's going to take care of you outside the box. You're not going to understand how God does it. He's going to provide for you in ways that you never understood or never knew how. Things happen in a certain way and God wants us to understand, I want you to be obedient. I want you to understand I'm going to care for you. I want you to understand that I'm going to provide for you and you're not going to have to do a thing. Everything that you have, God says, I'm providing. You need to trust in that. The Israelites are learning that as they're going to take Jericho. What do we have to do to learn that? What do we have to learn? Uh, what do we have to do to learn to, to trust in God? To allow Him to, to do the things that He tells us He's going to do. To be obedient. To have faith that He's going to do those things. What is it that we have to do? 
hopefully it's just a matter of, of studying something like this and seeing that as long as the people of Israel are obedient and believe in God and trust in God, everything goes smoothly. But as soon as that one person disobeys, guess what? It causes all kinds of problems, and we'll see that the next time. Listen.